You're listening to So Much Pingle, the podcast about herpetology, field herping, and anything and everything about amphibians and reptiles. Join us each week as Mike and his guests explore the amazing world of herps across our planet. And now, bringing a half century of experience and perspective to the microphone, here's your host, Mike Pingleton. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. Mike Pingleton here, and I am your host for these proceedings. And here we are with the seventh episode, released over the 4th of July holiday. It was kind of hard this year for everyone to get together and celebrate our Independence Day here in the United States. And here at my house, we typically have a big old barbecue with all of the kids and grandkids. But this year, I spent much of the day up on scaffolding. I was pulling down my gutters and replacing the backing boards and then putting the gutters back. And thankfully, I got a lot of help with that from my son-in-law, Jeremy. It was hot and sweaty work way up in the air, but that's what you get when you own an old house. So next year, we'll go back to the big family cookout extravaganza. Thanks, everyone, for all the comments and feedback on the show. And a big shout out to Steve Barton for sending me some in-depth comments via email. Very much appreciated, Steve. And folks made it clear that they like the origin stories concept featured in episode 6, so I'll be looking at gathering more of those vignettes. This show is kind of a watermark episode. In the course of educating myself on the world of podcasting, I learned that the seventh episode is as far as some shows get. That's some sort of average. Now, I'm not worried, of course. We're going to sail right by that metric as I continue collecting interviews and crank out more shows. The process has been a real education for me. Sound quality is important, and I'm still working out some issues with microphones and interviews over internet connections. There are so many points of failure with that process. But I'm very happy with the equipment I use for recording intros and outros and in-person interviews. If you're curious, I use a Zoom HN4 digital recorder and a pair of Shure microphones. The little Zoom box records in stereo and it writes the files to an HD card. So it's very simple and the recordings sound great and it's pretty easy to set up. But of course, it's not possible to meet with everyone in person, but for this episode, I did. In early June, I drove out to New Jersey and I did a little herping in the Pine Barrens. It was a great experience in the field and I also got to hang out in a social distancing way with some local herpers, including my pal Peter Mooney, see episode 5, and I also got to spend some time with Bob Ferguson. Now, Bob and I knew each other over the internet for quite a while, but we first met at Snake Road in southern Illinois, which is where I meet a lot of people for the first time. And then Bob came down to Peru in 2019, and we got to know each other a lot better there. And I enjoyed spending time with him down in the Pine Barrens, where this episode was recorded. At twilight one night, I set up my recording gear on the hood of his car, and we each took a side, and stopping the recording now and then for the occasional passing car. Two notable things about Bob are his energy and his passion. And as you listen to this, I think you will agree with me. So let's get to our conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm in the middle of the New Jersey Pine Barrens, and night has fallen, 
and I'm out here in the middle of nowhere, and we're speaking with Bob Ferguson. Welcome, Bob. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. It's been great having you guys out here for the week. Yeah, so um, we had a very successful day herping around the Pine Barrens. Saw some really cool stuff. I'd like to to think the coolest thing today was uh, my lifer New Jersey Pine Barrens pine snake, uh, which was a pretty big deal for me uh, since I've been looking at that thing in the field guide since I was 12 years old back in the 70s. So that was a big moment for me. And uh, I'm sure even though you've seen many, you still get pretty excited about it. I was, number one, I'm always excited to see a pine snake. I, as, as quote unquote easy as they are in the New Jersey Pine Barrens, you still need a lot of luck on your side to find a pine snake out here. Number two, with, you know, you guys, I knew that was your number one target. <laughs> when, when that thing was found, I heard John yell pine. I was just, as weight was off my shoulders. I think I was just like, let out this huge sigh of relief. It was, it was great. And then I, of course I wanted to rush over and see the snake itself. So. Sure. And that's always kind of the, how it goes when, uh, you're the host and you want things to go well for your, your guests and uh, you want them to find the cool stuff. So there is a little bit of pressure there uh, on part of the host. So. Yeah, there definitely is, but you know, and I really looked at this as an opportunity. You and Matt have been so good, and Tim have all been so good to me over the years, and I haven't had a chance to really repay any of that debt. And I feel like today I started to repay it. I still got a ways to go, but well, I, I thank you. I th I'm glad you you feel that way. But of course, we don't. There's no debt there, brother. <laughs> yeah. I just, I love the spirit of reciprocity. Yeah. So. Yeah. And so we're finally, I'm just finally thrilled to find, uh, to be here in the Pine Barrens after all these years. It is a, it is a very intriguing, but tough place. Um, I have a very strong love and hate relationship with this area because it's beaten me into the ground many, many times. But as soon as that next snake or Pine Barrens tree frog gets found, it's like, everything is just rekindled and the spark is is lit up again. This is no easy herping out here. It's definitely not. And actually throughout the day, it just seemed like today took three days, but yeah. things trickled in and today was a, it was a great day in the pines by Pine Barren standards. Yeah, I uh, looking at my Apple Watch, uh, I walked about 12 miles today. Yeah. So the... That's that's not easy herping. It's not when about 11.9 of those miles are swatting, biting flies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now those mosquitoes are out and the flies are, are gone to bed. So yeah. Night shift has come in. Yeah. I'll take the mosquitoes out here. They're not that horrible. The, the biting flies, I've, I've ran out of the forest swinging my hands and screaming like, like an insane person. They can drive you mad. Get, they can get pretty thick. You're saying, yeah, and they just they are relentless. Hmm. One of the one of the many trials and tribulations out here. Yeah, I actually um I told you guys earlier today, but I I ride my bike out here a lot, and I have figured out that biting flies can fly 12 miles per hour, but if you go 13, they can't keep up. So <laughs> you get a good workout in when the biting flies are out. I, I like the I like the science behind that. That's pretty cool. Um, 
So you uh, you've lived here for in this area for how long? I live about an hour away from here. Uh, I've lived here all my life in Bucks County. It's like a northern suburb of Philadelphia. So I've been here all my life. Okay, okay. And uh, married to your wife Julie, and you've got some kids. Yeah, married to Julie. We have I have three kids. She has two kids. We have a very mixed. Brady Bunch type situation that can get pretty chaotic. Sure. I get them all out here. Um, they've all felt the flies and the ticks and, <laughs> you know, they've, they've seen all the great snakes that this place has to offer. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I only know one of your kids, which is Wes. Right. And, uh, and, uh, he's a pretty cool kid and uh, I'm sure all your other kids are just as cool. So, uh, and so you live out here and you've spent a lot of time out here in the Pine Barrens trying to figure things out and, and trying to learn how to enjoy the herps and, and the other wildlife. Cause I know you're, you're also a big time birder as well. Yeah. I, I like it all. I, herps are probably always going to be my biggest passion, but birds are, are a close second to be quite honest. Um, I, I can enjoy birding more than herping sometimes, you know, sure. uh, please don't you know, send the pitchforks or anything, but <laughs> I, I just enjoy it all. I, I like to consider myself an amateur naturalist. I just want to keep adding to my repertoire. You know, I want to right. learn about new things as I go. Eventually I'd like to look into some underwater stuff. I just, there's so much out there that just is so interesting when you learn about it. Sure. And you, you learn to do all the things that you can do in your area and then maybe you start going to other places. Exactly. I, out here, and I'm not trying to say like I'm some great herper, but I've been, I've been so addicted to it for so long that I've seen everything hundreds of times. Don't get me wrong. That 101st time is going to be just as great, but I've kind of peaked in, in what I can learn. I mean, I, that that's probably incorrect. You can learn something new every time you're out here, but it's, it's just time to move on to see some new things. Sure. Recently, I've gotten to start traveling the world, basically, the last few years. And, you know, anybody who has the means out there, I say, do not wait as long as I did because it is life-changing. No, I agree with that because I, I think I waited too long, too, to uh, go see the world. Yeah, it's just, and it's not even just about the animals. It's just about seeing the way people live, especially in, like, third-world countries. It, it, you really gain some appreciation for how good you have it, no matter how you feel about America currently, like it's, you come home and you're like, wow, man, we really have a lot here. Yeah. Yeah. And, and other places people make do with a lot less. And the greatest lesson I think there is those people are, are happy. Like yeah. it, it teaches you that things don't necessarily make you happy. Yeah. They can distract you, but they're not making you happy. You <laughs> see these poor people who, you know, have to take baths and rivers and sleep on a dirt floor, but they're smiling and having a good time with their family. And, you know, right. it really, it really makes you think. And I, I wish that everybody could get a chance to travel and see that. And maybe they wouldn't, they'd have a little more gratitude because I know I shorted. Yeah. They say travel broadens the mind. And I, I believe in that. Yeah. It's definitely a privileged thing, but you know, it's, it is what it is. If you can get out, do it. <laughs> yeah. So you went to Africa with Julie. Yes, that was life changing. And you saw all the classic uh, uh, megafauna that Africa, has, South Africa, has to offer. Right. We saw the big five, 
and they I think they call it like the Sweet Seven now, which adds um cheetah and wild dogs and i missed wild dogs but i did get cheetah so i got six of them tell us what the sweet seven would be then so we got lions rhino elephants cape buffalo and probably what is the hardest of the big five is leopard that's like the one that the most people miss they are very hard to come by are they yeah but we lucked out and the people who had us on game drives kind of tag team this leopard and we kind of, we didn't corner it, but we got headlights on it from different angles and got to see it oh, cool. actually like kind of look at us for a few seconds. And uh, the whole interaction, once we saw the leopard, maybe 30 seconds, but what an amazing 30 seconds. And yeah. then it slunk, slinked off into the uh, forest. So it was, it was incredible. When you close your eyes, you can still see it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I can, I can remember just the feeling of like a group win from everybody people you'd never met before and it was like it was a bonding experience kind of like what you guys said about the bushmaster in your last episode yeah 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 so you have the big five and then you have the cheetah and the wild dogs and that makes the sweet seven yeah exactly and i'd missed wild dog cheetahs were incredible too did you get to see them running and and we got to see yeah we got to see a lot of them that was a that was a hard one to see we saw some with radio collars which okay that's cool but then we saw some without them the second and last night and and we got to see them like kind of getting up to start hunting and they were like doing the whole the the stretching on a hill type thing that you might see in like the nature documentaries it's like if this is africa you know that's what we saw it was really cool Wow. wow and so that experience you you were there for a couple weeks and um you rate that and it's pretty high in your your life experiences i it was probably number one um i you know i'm a herp guy but like that was just like it was a dream being there we got to see besides the big five we got to see everything else zebras hippos nile crocodiles giraffes like you name it the only thing i can think of that i missed was wild dog so did you see any, uh, what you would call cool birds there? I mean, top yeah, tier birds for you? The the birds there are incredible. And actually South Africa is the raptor capital of Africa. They just have so many species. And I think my bird list throughout the week without actually birding, just what I could get while out on game drives or walking around the lodge was like 150 birds. Oh, wow. Yeah. So wow. that was really nice. And the diversity was really incredible. And they have these things called Taracos there that are just like yeah. shiny purple, red, yellow, you name it. They got all the colors in their feathers. And it's, it's, I'm not going to say it compares to Latin America. They are definitely different birds, but it was, it was neat to see the, the diversity. And so some of those you were, you'd, you'd seen on nature documentaries before. And oh, yeah. We, yeah, there was definitely, um, you know, I, I, I hate to say it because it's pretty common, but like, the Cape vultures, that's just kind of like something I think about when I think of Africa. And they were there by the hundreds in trees. It was really neat. Yeah. Lots of eagles, um, lots of lots of hawks. It's just, it was something else. Always something to look at, always something to steal my attention away from the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. And a few herbs, right? You saw some. Yeah. We went in the winter because um, that's the best time for game drives. It's, you have it's everything's dry so you have less vegetation to look through uh-huh. and on top of that animals tend to congregate around the watering holes so uh-huh. that was the best time to go so the herps were a little low and on top of that when you're in these lodges that are on preserves 
you are banned from walking around by yourself, like outside of the actual boardwalk. And when you're even in the area, you still have to watch out because you're literally in big cats, you know, areas. We actually were, me and Julie were in the hot tub one night and we had one of the hotel employees come up and check on us. He's just asked if we were all right. And we're like, yeah, we're fine. He's like, okay, because we just had a hyena walk by and we had no idea. So, you know, that it's a very real thing. They see leopards drinking out of the pools behind everybody's lodge every now and then elephants. We watched, we watched a whole herd of Cape Buffalo drink out of the pond and we were walking on a boardwalk and we're like 30 feet away from these things. And Cape Buffalo, they look like glorified cows, but they kill people. They like yeah. gut them with their horns. Like if you get too close. So it's, it's, there's the danger is real out there, but it's, it's exciting and you know, it's great. Yeah. And, and thing, you know, they have a, a massive set of horns on those, on those animals. So. They do. Um, and, and so do you, you saw a couple of venomous species of snakes? Okay, so I had three nights in KwaZulu Natal where I wasn't at a lodge and I was kind of on my own. And I finally had the weather line up because, like I said, it was winter there. And I got out one morning and I saw five snakes. Three of them got away from me into the forest. They're probably cobras. That's what I've been told, like forest cobras, because they're pretty numerous around there. But I can't say for sure. That said, the two snakes that I did see were a boom slang and a green mamba and those are two top tier snakes to me yeah yeah i mean if you have top five uh mammals those two would be certainly in the top five of of snakes to see i I agree yeah i mean i i know off the top of my head gaboon is up there and i the area where i saw those two snakes is actually one of the only places in that section of south africa where you can see gaboons I didn't get that lucky though, but it was great because both snakes were both in trees and both sat there. There was no, I didn't, I never touched a single snake out there and they just sat there all pretty for pictures and I just got to admire them and, that's you know, awesome. yeah, it's just being one with them for a little while. Wow. That's pretty cool. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure some of our listening audience are, are drooling over your experience. Yeah. It's, it's surreal. The whole, the whole experience is surreal. It's like going to another planet. It is, yeah. yeah. It's it's, and you saw some uh, chame- true chameleons. Is that correct? There are these little dwarf chameleons. I'm not going to be able to remember the name off the top of my head. They were okay. little, like I'd say three inches from nose to tail tip. Um, but they, so I was out at a bed and breakfast on the coast and I was told by an African herper, like, just look in the gardens and you'll see chameleons sleeping. I'm like, okay. So lo and behold, I go out and they're like sleeping in their shrubbery. And, you know, I walked around the backyard and did find them in a more natural setting too, but like, they'll use anything. They're just there and they're there in numbers. And it was, it was, it was my first chameleon ever. So it was really cool too. Oh, wow. Cool. Anything else of note on the reptile front? Reptiles, I mean, there was some terrapins we saw out there, but um, the frogs were pretty good. There was one frog I got my first night walking around a neighborhood that was amazing. All right, so I have to be a little honest right now, and um, I can't remember the name of the frog. I I can give you a a note on it after the show, but um, we get there. We fly, you know, 18 hours, and we finally get to the hotel, and 
we're just dead. And this is our honeymoon. And Julie's starting to fall asleep. And, you know, the first night of my honeymoon, I'm like, well, I'm going to go look for some frogs because I heard something calling out there. She was fine with it. So I actually kind of ditched my lovely wife on the first <laughs> night of our honeymoon. But I got that killer frog that night. So, you know. Awesome. Yeah. So you tracked it down and took its picture. I did. Um, there was, yeah, there was a lot calling and it was just in neighborhoods just behind. We were, we had a bed and breakfast on the beach there on the Indian ocean. And I just hit the streets behind it because I could hear stuff like calling in the yards and street side. So. Wow. Just took a shot. Wow. Cool. And so, uh, you hope to go back someday or what? Yeah. Um, if my it's wife, expensive, I know. it is expensive. Um, you could definitely do it cheaper. I just, I spent way too much money, but I have this to remember forever. You can definitely do it cheaper. It's expensive to get there, but, um, we hope to do it again. We hope to visit more countries in Africa, but honestly, South Africa had everything I, I wanted. I was just, I would like to see different habitats. I'd like to see the, the migration someday and maybe, you know, to some different areas of Africa, Serengeti, that type of thing. Right. But um, yeah, I I got the Africa experience in South Africa. And Julie enjoyed it too. She I I would she might have liked it more than I did. She brings <laughs> it up every other day and tells me how she can't wait to go back. She dreams about it still. Like yeah, I I she definitely turned. Well, that's cool. She, yeah. It was a great compromise. Yeah. And you've been some other places too. I know you've been to Panama. Yes. And uh, let's say Nicaragua, correct? No, I've been to Honduras. Honduras was my first trip out of country. And that's when I got hooked. Um, I've been to Honduras, Costa Rica, Panama, Ecuador, Peru with you guys, and Brazil. Nice. Nice. Yeah, so um, Peru, uh, it was great to have you come down with us. And uh, you had some memorable adventures. And uh, if anybody listening has listened to episode three of this show, uh, episode of the Bushmaster, uh, Bob's experiences with the Bushmaster were uh, highlighted. And uh, I'm sure you had a good time. And uh, you probably want to come back someday. I, I had, it was some of the toughest herping I've ever done and the best herping I've ever done. It was an absolute blast. It was being in the Amazon, the smells, the sounds. Uh, when I when we got in that boat and we were headed on the Amazon River, I was just like, I cannot believe that I am here. And it's a trip I've been eyeing up with you guys for years now and finally had a shot to do it and used um, my son's graduation as an excuse or a real, we'll call it a reason. Uh, it was his, it was his graduation present. So spending that down there with him, cause it, it he's at the point where like, I, I'm not just dragging a kid along cause I've been there when they were younger. He's a fully operational unit. He's, now. he's, he's a herper <laughs> in his own right. Yeah. Like he, he's just one of the boys when, when we're all together and just yeah. another set of eyes and he doesn't want to mess around. He just wants to find herps and wants to contribute and then enjoy everybody else's fine. So yeah, Wes was cool. It was fun hanging out with him. Yeah. It was like for a week, I got to forget the whole father son thing and be best friends with my boy, you know? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And yeah, the Bushmaster, the Bushmaster find was, was and will be forever the herping highlight of my career. Wow. Wow. That's from a man who's found mambas. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, yeah, I mean, just everything. That's saying something. I, I, everything about that snake. There's just the legendary status and the just everything leading up to it. How I fell asleep and the, yeah. you know, just the luck that came with that. It just, you, it, I couldn't have written a better script on that. No, and and we were so happy that you found one. Yeah, it's one thing to say. I will go do this. And it's another thing to go do it. So, so that <laughs> well, was just awesome. Man. I was, I was feeling pretty, um, after you guys did so well that night and I slept through it, I was just sitting there like, I wasn't jealous. I wasn't mad. I was just like, I need to contribute somehow. And I didn't, I didn't expect to find a snake. I, I may have said I'm going to find one, but I, I, I really just wanted to eat up some time in the field and feel like I tried while everybody else kicked butt that night sure and i think we probably told you you know what our 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 snake observation rate is it's about two and a half hours and snake that is trail time two and a half hours of trail time that's exactly what was going on in my head when i was sitting there and everybody's cracking their beers open and and celebrating everything they found and and i'm thinking all right i'm just going to take a chunk out of that two and a half hours and i didn't realize it only ended up being like 10 15 minutes (laughs) (laughs) but you know, luck, luck was on my side. Results are everything. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I, I'll never, it's, I think about it and I still get chills. Just that whole excitement and nervousness of, cause I, I didn't know what to do when I found it on the trail. Like I, I wrestled with, should I try and put it in a bag or, you know, I, I, I want everybody to see this thing in situ, but I don't, you know, I don't want it to leave. And I literally ran halfway back to the lodge before I was like, no, what are you doing? You gotta, you gotta get it. And then I went back and I'm like, no, you can't get it. Like you can't get bit and die out in the jungle. So then I booked it in my rubber boots back and you know, that's how the story goes. And you made a wise decision. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's just in the heat of the moment. You just, you don't want to lose that snake. Right. Right. So. Time seems to slow down. Yeah. And it was, it was, yeah. Were there um, other things that you enjoyed about, about the like, experience? Yeah. I, I loved everything. I loved how off the grid it was. I loved that water was pumped out of the uh, Arapaima and Cayman filled pond onto our heads for a shower. And the showers <laughs> were the coldest and most refreshing showers of all time after being in that jungle. I love yeah. the tambos. Is that how you say it, tambo? Yeah, tambo. I love them right on the lake and, you know, and, and the bug nets. Thank God for the bug nets. I love that you could go out on the deck and have monkey frogs and you could hear them and shine them in the trees right from your deck. And, and you know what was the one of the cool, like I, I, I herp for different reasons. Sometimes I want to be alone with my thoughts. Sometimes I want to be with my kids and just have my kids captive so that I can kind of like, you know, work myself into conversations, learn about their life, you know, cause sometimes it takes a few hours to break these kids down. And then there's other times where I want camaraderie and I want teamwork and I want to tell stories and I want to find things with people. And that's what I, one of the things I was hesitant about was the number of people that went down. And after going, I, I mean, I knew this within a few hours of actually meeting everybody I would have it no other way, not just because of the fines and how, how difficult it can be to find stuff in the jungle, but just, just having all these different personalities sharing the same passion together, working for the same goals. I wouldn't have it any other way down there. Yeah. And we're talking, we take usually 12 or 13 people 
Yeah. Uh, we learn not to take too many because, uh, it just, it's hard to manage. It's yeah. hard to, it's, you know, because we're not only, uh, you know, facilitating, uh, what wildlife can be found, but we're also keeping track of people, making sure they're safe and, uh, fed and they're having a good time and make sure they're, they're doing well and enjoying themselves too. So. Yeah. And I'm sure you're having a blast down there, but I don't envy some of the responsibility that comes with that. I mean, yeah, I know you have to worry about somebody making a dumb mistake with a coral snake or worry about if people are having a good time, if they're comfortable and you know, I, you never, I, I don't envy your job, but you do, you guys do an amazing job down there and make it so easy. It, I, I could never think about going to Peru and all the logistics to get to these places. Like I wouldn't even know where to start and I didn't have to worry about any of that. You guys no. just took care of it from start to finish, uh, down to the last shower in Iquitos before crossing the AC line. Right. Well, that's, that's our, our friend Guillermo. We, you know, our man in Iquitos. Yeah, he was great. Him. And he is the logistics king. He meets you at the airplane and he puts you on the airplane at the end and handles all the stuff in between. And he does a great job. And he knows his job and he, he just knows how to make it all work and, and get people taken care of. Yeah, you guys do a great job and you have a great crew down there too. Lots yeah. of lots of help. Lots of very um, experienced people in the field. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, the, the local people do a really good job and, and they're, they're, they're good. They're, we, you just don't get anybody in there. You get the, the best people for the job in there and, uh, they stay with us for many, many years. So well, I'm glad you had a good time down there. And I, I, I'm trying to think back Did we, did you do much birding? Uh, I, I think we did some morning bird boat. Yeah. Trips. So that was one of the pleasant surprises. Like I obviously I in in the jungle it's it's hard to bird but like around the camp I birded but I was really surprised I was surprised by you quite frankly that you were into the morning birding and we would hike out of the jungle down to the river and hop in a boat and bird by boat and that was something very new and even Wes, who isn't a, isn't the most excited birder, like every morning he's like, Oh, are we going to go birding? Like he was into it. He just loved being on that boat and spotting stuff from the boat. That was, that was a new experience for us. And that was, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. That's how I, I learned a lot about the birds down there by, by handling those bird boats. Yeah. And even though I have to get up at the butt crack of dawn, um, and, uh, usually carrying my cup of coffee onto the boat. It's been uh, great for me because I've I've learned a lot of the the more common birds, and then I've seen some really incredible birds that aren't so common, like you know Bonaparte's parakeets. That was a big one. Okay. Uh, and I can't remember all what we saw on that trip, but just neat stuff. And um, it's just fun to be out on on the river when it's cool and uh, the lights kind of dim, and if it's a nice cloudy day. Uh, it's it's much more pleasant, I think. So. Going down the river with jungle on both sides and a toucan just flying across the horizon is just it's like nothing else. It's a it's a mind blower, and it, it's it like, is. It's like some Disney adventure. Yeah, Not it's, only better. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a dream. So let's see. You have also gone to Honduras, right? You stayed, uh, I think, at a place called 
Pico Benito. Is yeah, that right? Pico Benito Eco Lodge in Honduras. Yeah. That was another great experience. That was my first experience out of the country, outside of you know crossing the Mexican border when I was a teenager, but ah. with an actual purpose. Yeah, that was that was a great trip as well. And a good birding place and great birding place. They have feeder setups. A lot of these eco lodges do have feeder setups, so you can get a good thirty to forty species and easy, amazing pictures of these birds. You know, just from the comfort of your balcony or from I, you know, I've eaten breakfast with my camera sitting on the table next to my plate, and when something pops up, I'm sitting there chewing whatever I'm eating while shooting the bird. So. That's, yeah. that's always, that's, that's something nice. We, uh, I just did that, uh, earlier this year when I went to Ecuador and well, stayed up in a Mindo for a few days and a place where we ate, they, we ate breakfast out on the veranda and watched hummingbirds. Was it this yellow, yellow house? Yeah, the yellow house. I, I did the same exact thing. Oh. And the hummingbird show there is ridiculous. You can get like 80 hummingbirds all fighting for those feeders. And there's, if you spend time identifying them there's a good eight to 12 species you know that you can get it's it's mind-blowing it's magical i try and tell people that here because like somebody who has a mild interest in birds or just like seeding birds in their backyard they see a hummingbird like oh my god bob i saw a hummingbird today i'm like you know i don't want to brag about it but i'm just thinking like man you have no idea you go down to the tropics it's there's so much to see yeah yeah and of course, there's lots of good herbs down there uh, in uh, uh, Mendo as well. But did you find many herbs when you stayed in in uh, Pico Benito? Yeah, in Pico Benito, um, I found a calico snake. I I, I got a a bunch of. I th- I think I ended up with like 38 species that trip, which oh, wow. isn't. It's not huge for tropical herping, but like it was my first go at it. We got some decent snakes. I'd say the the coolest part of that trip was when we took a boat out to the Cayos Conchinos and don't hold my pronunciation to me on that, but, um, and we found those, those dwarf boas they have out there. So we were out there for a snorkeling trip, but we got to like walk around the Island for like 45 minutes. And in that 45 minutes, we found nine boas and one brown vine snake. The boas were everywhere. So what was the name of the, of the Island again? Cayos Cachinos, I think. Oh, okay. Hog Island. Hot. That's it. Hog Island boas. Oh, so that's the fame. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. They're all small. And I think they like max out at six feet and they're pretty pink they're lovely and just see the seeing them in situ just like some were stretched out five feet on a branch some were curled up in a palm tree like it was one was even in um up against a rock just waiting for a mouse to run by or something wow so it sounds like that's the you know the dominant serpent on on that island it is for sure and i had asked about like how they do so well out there and the, the answer intrigued me apparently it's a big stopover for migrant birds. So like twice a year, they get to gorge themselves on birds. Ah, okay. And they can't be too big. If, if the boas grow to uh, too great a length, they can't get up in the trees easily and nab birds. That would make sense to me. Yeah. I'm sure there's a few theories on it. I'm here, but that yeah. sounds good to me. So yeah. we'll go with that. That's cool. Um, yeah, I mean, most people are familiar in in the herb world are familiar with those boas, and they're they're beautiful. And to actually go and see them where they live is that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I always have a story about Honduras. Um, a lot of people ask me, "Hey, have you ever been bit by a hot or a venomous snake?" And I haven't like 
been bit by a pit viper or a coral, but I had a uh, Connie of Fannies. I might be butchering that name, oh, but yeah. a, a rear fanged yeah. snake down there. I, I we found it. It wasn't posing for me. We so this is our last might have been second to last night. The plan was to go up this long hillside that was loaded with herps, but at the top of it, we're going to be glass or glass lizards, glass frogs. And that was high on my list. So along the way, we saw a lot of cool uh, snakes. We saw Musarana. Ooh. Yeah, really nice five footer. Um, but uh, so we find this this twin spotted snake, the Connie of Fannies, and it wasn't posing. And Julie's like, just take it with you until you feel like it's settled down in your hand and then we'll take pictures. I'm like, that's fine by me. I just get to enjoy the snake a little longer. So we're walking maybe a few minutes and I feel this thing latch onto my finger and I'm like, oh my God, this thing's biting me. And I, when I went down there, I learned a lesson because my first, I told myself, all right, worry about vipers and worry about coral snakes, anything else, whatever. It might hurt. Well, that was the wrong tactic because I shined a light, a flashlight on this thing and watched it rock its head back and forth. And I'm like, oh no, there's some rear fangs. And then they sunk into me. And let me tell you, for a rear fang snake, that thing lit me up. I was like starting to sweat. I, I don't I don't know if it was a nervous reaction but with, with how much it burned, but so they're all the my guide and Julie are like, oh my God, are you are you okay? Because it took a minute or two to get this thing off me. It really chewed into me and put some venom in me. It was painful too. It was very pain. It was uh, it was surprisingly painful, but I played it off and I'm like, because I wanted to see the glass frogs. I'm like, yeah, I'm good, I'm good. But I'm thinking like I'm starting to feel feverish and, and I'm just like Oh man, I'm hoping I'm not a making not making a mistake, and I'm going to die out here in these in this jungle trying to get glass frogs. But we made it up. We got the glass frogs. We made it down, and my hand was swollen like a balloon for three weeks. Oh my goodness! So I learned my lesson that oh, trip. My goodness. Yeah, and yeah, thankfully it wasn't that, worse. That genus uh, Caniophanes is notorious for painful bites, and and I had swelling. no idea. I like I said, I was ignorant to it all. So. Yeah, so let that be a lesson to everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Cautionary don't, tale. Don't do what I did. I'm supposed yeah. to be a semi-decent herper, and there you go. We all make mistakes. Yeah. Well, I, I in Thailand last year, I got uh, nipped by a rear-fanged, uh, uh, what was it, Samophis pulverulentus, one of the mock vipers, they call them. Oh, wow. And they kind of imitate their rear fang, but they kind of look like a little viper with their head spreading and all that, and that thing nipped me. And uh, I didn't experience a lot of pain or anything. It just barely nipped my thumb, but uh, uh, it it made my thumb tingle for uh, hours. <laughs> and, you know, so much tingle, right? Uh, <laughs> so uh, my thumb tingled and I had a few moments of just weird, feeling weird, you know. Um, yeah. Not delirium, but uh, feeling kind of giddy and, and odd, you know. Right. But then it went away. And so, you know, th- that was my first experience with a a rear fang snake too. And some of them can really, you know, punch your ticket and they're, they shouldn't be messed with. So. Yeah, exactly. I've, I've learned to educate myself much better before I go anywhere. Yeah. What's, what's, uh, on the horizon for you? Do you have a big trip, that, that, another dream trip that you'd like to do? Uh, I'd like to go everywhere. I got, we got to see, how, see how this pandemic works out, but I'm hoping to get one more big trip this year, maybe in the fall. I was eyeing Morocco. I don't know if that's going to happen. I I think a few you guys are eyeing that up too, and I nobody knows if anything like that's going to happen. Right. But I'd be happy just trying a new spot in Latin America. I love Latin America. I want to get better at my Spanish, 
and start learning the culture more. I'd like to live there one day, at least try it for a year or two. Oh, really? Yeah, I'd, wow. I'd, I'd really like Julie to see Panama City, and she could see that there's like a first world city with creature comforts with an amazing rainforest 15 minutes outside of the city. Yeah, yeah. I really, oh, I didn't like driving there, I'll have to say. Yeah, that was that was an experience. <laughs> that was my first time renting a car and just driving around in a foreign country. Then I learned a lot that and, trip. But you didn't you go to El Valle? Yeah, I, so I spent I, place? I spent a few nights in the canal zone at Ivan's Bed and Breakfast. That's a oh, it's a big Herper. Place. Yeah, it's yeah. a Herper stopover, and then headed out to El Valle for three nights. So those two legs of the trip were two totally different experiences. I went down in January. And in the canal zone, it was like highs of like today out here. It was like highs of 92, 94 and very dry. I saw, I only saw two or three snakes there. I got some frogs and everything was new to me and exciting. So yeah. in retrospect, it, that was fine. But then when I went to El Valle, it's at like a higher uh, elevation and the days got up to like 80. And at night there were, it was misty, mid sixties. I found a lot more snakes. I don't, it wasn't a lot of snakes, but I found some good ones and got some really cool frogs just around the lodge. And that was, that was a really, I would do that again in a heartbeat. I that wonder was, if we stayed at the same hotel. We didn't. I talked to, I can't remember what the place you guys stayed at, but I stayed at one of the, um, the canopy family lodges. Oh. I was looking them up and they were a little expensive, but then I saw, uh, a picture they had of Brad Pitt on a vine across the pond. And I'm like, <laughs> if Brad Pitt stayed there, I'm going to go swing on that vine too. So <laughs> I did. And, you know, I, I'm glad I stayed there because it was a really good experience. I'm sure I could have found great stuff where you guys stayed too, but it was, they, they were very bird heavy too. So yeah. I could hang around the lodge and they had great feeder setups and I had two cans and close and hummingbirds, tanagers, which are like literally my favorite bird group yeah. just everywhere so uh, i did that in my downtime and did a lot of herping up in the mountains there cool cool yeah it was really neat there uh, in Valle. I, I really liked it up there it's a really neat little town like i made sure to get down to that farmer's market they have in town and it's i love when you're like going around the curve and they have that uh that golden dart frog what is that called oh, golden, the golden toad, toad yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I got the Latins, I'm missing it, but, um, yeah, me too. But yeah. it's great because like you're at like, no, I don't want to say great, but you're at kind of ground zero for Kittred there. Yeah. And they have this monument. They have this pillar roadside at Al Valle with that statue of the golden toad on top of it. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm here. So yeah, yeah that is a Did really neat see little the, town. The, the captive I, I did they... not. I didn't know about it. Okay. Um, I, I would definitely go again and that's something I would try and get done. Yeah. And I bet Julie would like it too. Yeah. It's, uh, that's a trip I could take her on. Yeah. Especially with the canopy lodges because they make you really comfortable and treat you the way she would like to be treated. Sure. Like I can rough it, you know, I don't want to do that yeah. to her. Well, you're a sand bar barons expert. So, or a pine barons expert. So yeah, yeah you know how, how to rough it. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, before we go, uh, I really want to talk to you about your calendar project too, which I think is pretty cool. Okay. And uh, so for the folks that don't know, uh, you put out, uh, you're a very 
a very good herp photographer and you put out a series of calendars every year uh, and uh, the folks can uh, purchase the calendar and all of the proceeds go to They've been going. Uh, they've been going to a few different conservation groups in the past, but the last three or four years have all been filtered through the Rainforest Trust, and they um they have a lot of different projects. So I talk to the philanthropist officer over there every year, and I've talked to. They're they're very good with me, and I'm just I'm small pigeons to them, but they're very good about giving me the information I need to choose the project where I want to allocate the money. Oh, really? Yeah. So every year it's something different. Last year it was Peru. It was helping the people with land rights. And that money went so far uh, just to secure land so that, you know, loggers can't come in and push out the natives. And, you know, so so they they hold title to it. Yeah, they hold title to it. And then they have a whole legal team that helps these people fight off any encroachment. And it's an ongoing effort down there. It's not like your money's gone and that's it. Like they have a whole big team and it's a big production and it, it, it's a great thing they were doing this year. So the the people can hang on to the land and then the land doesn't end up being logged. Correct. Which is a huge okay. problem as you yeah. know down there. Yeah. Yeah. So that's awesome. And what else what other uses have you have has the money gone to in the past? So that this last year was a little bit different. In the past, my I but the first year I did it, I donated all the money, which wasn't much. Uh, to the Pinelands Preservation Alliance here because they they are a great volunteer group that anytime they see the state of New Jersey not upholding the agreement of a, what they call it the CMP, it's like the Comprehensive Management Plan. Basically, it's the law that was written back in 1978. They're not going to let them build a Walmart on Pinelands property. So you. whenever they're breaking the rules there, they have a legal team that takes them to court and they do really, they they have a lot of wins and really do a great job protecting the Pinelands here. Okay. And so when your calendar project took off, you you could then expand your horizons on, yes. on where that that money went. And-, and most of the years, I really, I really enjoy just buying acreage for reserves, helping them expand reserves. And that's, it's an expensive endeavor and it, the money doesn't go nearly as far as it did last year, but it's adding on to reserves that are pinpointed for creating corridors. Like the one was the Choco in Ecuador. And they're saying like, there's only like 10% of that original forest left. And I haven't been to the lowland Choco where it's really bad, but I have a lot of good friends that have gone and they're like, they feel like they're out in the middle of nowhere, but then there's these logging trucks lumbering down the roads with logs after logs after logs. And, and what they do there is they're just buying up acreage as they can to save as much of the land as they can and keep that corridor open because I didn't know this. So you have Amazon. If you look on a map, the Amazon's huge and it's the most biodiverse place in the world. The Choco covers a little bit of Panama, Colombia, and Ecuador, and is it's just this little strip between the Andes and the ocean, and it's number yeah. two. It, I, it has yeah. so much biodiversity there. So yeah. it's it's really important to protect there. And I, I, like, I like my calendar project to get a lot of bang for the buck and really feel like I'm, I'm helping to save as many things as possible. And yeah. 
It's not going directly towards herps. It's not going directly towards a bird. I, they, they might market a bird to try and get people to donate. But like in the end, if you protect land, you're protecting everything. And that's yes. the, kind of the way I look at it. So how many calendars did you sell last year? Over 500. That's amazing. Yeah, my first year I sold 60. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's a lot of work. It dominates six weeks of my life. And there are times when I feel bad spamming my friends and <laughs> but you know if if i didn't believe in it i wouldn't do it so yeah. you know it's and i tell people i'm like listen it's christmas time if you're going to spend money anyway and you have somebody that might enjoy it then throw it my way it's going to go towards conservation right like you're going to be part of this solution for the animals and I, I don't want anybody to do me any favors i mean i won't turn it down but like i'm not i'm not like calling you out like hey i showed you that pine snake last year you need to buy a calendar you know it's not like that at all it's just if you're going to spend the money here's an option you know give me a look so you can get a calendar from bob and there will be no strong arm tactics no <laughs> okay <laughs> i think uh, i think it's great uh and i i've bought cal a calendar yes myself, you have you've been a supporter and i appreciate yeah, that and i will continue to do so and i think it's a great thing that you do I know it's a big pain in the butt to mail things out, you know, in large numbers. That's just a lot of work. So, yeah, it is. It's uh, a one-man operation. And then you put out a, a number, you have a number of different calendars. It's not just one, it's a, a several different things. <laughs> yeah, so I've gone a little nuts in the last few years. I've offered like 12, literally 12 different calendars. And I just want to give as many options as I can to people. And it helps because, you know, somebody might have a bird lover, somebody might have a snake lover, a turtle lover, whatever. And it helps my, it helps my multiple calendar sales. And I give a discount if you buy five and a lot of people take advantage of that. So oh, cool. yeah, okay. it really helps up the numbers and puts more money towards saving species. Awesome. Awesome. And you know, this is the, this is the giving back, right? This is the part where yeah, I've, we have to give back because the animals give us so much. And I've always pushed that even back when I was part of the North American Field Herping Association and was, I, I was vice president two years for Northeast chapter. And then I was president two years and I, I never wanted to, I never wanted to strong arm people into doing things, but I tried to take the angle that like, look, like you're out there finding snakes anyway and they're giving you a lot of whatever the value is to you like this is your chance to give back just citizen science put something sure. in the database or if you don't want to do that come up with something like i tell people all right maybe you don't give a crap about green frogs but you can go out on a rainy night and move a hundred off the road and like that's that's hands-on conservation yeah. like that matters to every one of those little green frogs like you can do things like that or you can get creative and you know, swallow. I, I felt like a nerd the first time I did the calendars. I, I was like, oh, well, who wants to buy my pictures? Like, I, I know I'm kind of okay at photo, phot photography, but like, I know 20 people off the top of my head who take better herp pictures. But at that time, I had to say, you know what? It doesn't matter. I have something to offer. And I, these could be cell phone shots. If you're putting out a product in a package and people believe in it, then they'll buy it. Right. right. So that, that was a, that was a good turning point for me and really got me thinking about other creative ways to have fun and contribute to conservation. That's just awesome. That's just awesome. And so at, 
At the end of the show uh, and in the show notes, uh, we'll put some uh, information on how people can be part of your calendar project. That'd be wonderful. Yeah. So I appreciate you talking about that. I think it's pretty important. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's what I can do. Sure. You know, you do what you can do. You don't have to sell 500 calendars. You, right. You, you can't know. go down there and strip uh, axes out of loggers' hands, but you can sell calendars. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. So we're going to wrap up the show. Um, and I just want to mention to our, our listeners out there that Bob and I are standing on uh, the hood of his, uh, next to the hood of his truck uh, where the microphones are. And it's a lovely evening. Out here somewhere in the Pine Barrens, the stars are out and the silhouettes of the pines uh, are, are, are visible to me. And we have a few birds calling and it's just kind of a lovely evening. And it's been a, a, a great herping day and I have a few more herping days here before I head back home. So I appreciate you coming out and hanging out and, and talking to everyone. And um, any final words or thoughts? I just want to thank you guys for being great friends, mentors. Uh, just everything you've been to me for, I joined field herb forum in 2005 and I've known you guys for 15 years. We don't get to see each other much. This is the third time I've ever hung out, hung, hung out with you. I met you first at snake road and yeah. we spent the week in Peru and now here, and I'm just, I'm glad it can go both ways. And whenever we're, we're in every, and either person stomping grounds, you know, we're willing to help each other and hang out in yeah. the field. And I, I love that about that. You know, there's, there's a lot of things about this hobby passion, what you want to call it that are negative, but I focus on the positives and that's the best thing about this is have finding like-minded passionate people with strong conservation minds and getting to go do it and have a blast doing it together. Yeah. It's been great. It's been great to hang out with you this week. And uh, I meet so many people for the first time on Snake Road. So <laughs> yeah. It's not surprising that's where we met for the first time. So Yeah, when I saw you, I was like, all right, we got to get a picture. This is Mike Pingleton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was great. I have, a, I have a picture of you as well. So. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Bob. And uh, I really appreciate it. And I'm sure our listening audience enjoyed the, the show. And uh, hopefully we'll come and have you back on the show sometime. And uh Everybody out there, uh, check out the show notes and uh, get a calendar from Bob. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Mike. This was great. All right. You're welcome. That's it for Episode 7. I want to thank my guest, Bob Ferguson, for talking with me on a lovely night in the Pine Barrens. We talked about so many things, and I realize now that I completely forgot to ask Bob about his trip to the Atlantic Forest in Brazil, which is a top-tier bucket list destination for me. So I guess I'll have to pick his brain about that another time. Please see the show notes for links to Bob's Instagram account and his Fast Nature page and to his YouTube channel of the same name. And Facebook and Instagram are good places for updates on his calendar project. And hey, if you like so much Pingle, please take a moment to rate the show on whatever platform you listen on. It really helps to bring a wider audience to the show, and I thank you for that. Just a couple things before I go. You can find all of the recorded episodes and show notes at SoMuchPingle.com, and you can join the So Much Pingle Facebook group. You can also email me directly at SoMuchPingle at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. 
And in the meantime, please take care of yourselves and don't forget to hurt better.